Joe Stoll is the president of Cornerstone University. Years ago, he was a speaker at the Bible conference. And he, he told this story. He said there was a couple, an elderly couple, had been married for years, and they really never got along very well. And they had a 50th wedding anniversary. And he said that uh, their kids threw a big party for them. So they had this big party, and they acted civil toward one another. And when it was all done, and then everybody went home, there they were, the two of them just looking at each other. And he says to her, we really don't get along that well, do we? And she says to him, no, we don't. And he says, I'm not sure what to do about that. And she says, I've been praying about it. I've just been praying that God would take one of us home. And after he answers my prayer, I'll go live with my sister in South Bend. <laughs> I wanted to ask Joe Stoll, where did you hear that story? Because my wife actually has a sister who lives in South Bend. <laughs> I've always wondered about, where did you hear that story? We're talking about building <laughs> better relationships without praying somebody will die, right? We're talking about building better relationships. And here's some of my best relationship advice that I can give to you. And that is, if you wanna be in a good relationship with somebody, do not sin against them. Don't sin against the person that you wanna have a good relationship with. That's like number one. All right, number two, if you do sin, <laughs> make it right. If you do sin, make it right and number three if you make it right make it right right make it right right now we're taking two weeks to talk about that and uh you may have noticed my little brief sermonette last week was just the beginning of this and i want to talk to you a bit more because of the importance of it in the and the goal the dream the desire that that i would have which i think is an altogether you know godly desire that the bethel people the bethel families the bethel relationships the husband and wife relationships the kid relationships um the relationships between mom and dad and and the kids the kids and mom and dad and brothers and sisters would be so strong and that we wouldn't make the other person always bear the weight of our sin right because if you never if you don't know how to ask forgiveness well if you don't know how to apologize well, then what you're really doing is you're either saying, I never sin, which we know isn't true, or when you do sin, you just make the people that you're having relationships with continually bear the burden of your sin. And that's really not a very good idea. We'll tell you some reasons why. I had a, uh, I, I've often heard people apologize poorly. How about you? It's kind of, I'm sorry, not sorry. Have you ever had that? I'm sorry. Not sorry. There's a new word for this. Have you heard of this? It's called fopology. A false apology. Have you heard of this? Fopology. It's everywhere. Google that. Fopology. And look online at video evidence of people who should just apologize and repent and honestly admit their sin. And instead they go on and the excuse that they used for an apology is really a false apology. It's really a faux-pology. Some examples, for instance, have you heard this? The if-apology. Like, if I, if I did anything wrong, I'm really sorry. That's not really apology. That's a, I'm sorry, not sorry, faux-pology. Or uh, the passive apology. Like, okay, mistakes were made. Mistakes were made, as if you personally didn't make the mistakes. Or, or the apology like, I'm sorry, but I really didn't mean it. 
but, but maybe you did mean it. Or, or, the, or this one, it's when you use the you instead of the I. Like, you know, look, if, if you're upset about this and you are that sensitive, then I am sorry. That's not really an apology. Like, don't look at your mate right now. Really bad timing. Don't do that. Just sit there, take it quietly, pray for them. All right? Just do that. Uh, take notes, you know, for them. Apologize later. But, but the, don't do the faux apology. Don't do the I'm sorry, not sorry. If you're going to be in a relationship with somebody, don't sin against them. If you sin against them, make it right. If you make it right, make it right, right. Don't say, I'm sorry, not sorry. Don't faux apologize. Or here's another one. The, it's, I like this one. It's kind of like the I have the dark side apology. It's I have a dark side apology. Or like maybe that's the, I was angry, but it's just the Irish in me. Or here's my new favorite. Um, look, hey, I, I did that, but you know, my Enneagram number is whatever. And you're going to blame your Enneagram number on, on your sin, right? I mean, no, none of you would do that. There is the accusing or the hostile apology. Look, I'm sorry you misunderstood what I was trying to say. Hey, I'm sorry. With you, it seems like I just can't get anything right. It's not an apology at all. That's an, it's actually an attack. The hostile apology. I'm sorry. Are you happy now? There. <laughs> but we're laughing only because that's so painful. Now, there's an appropriate time to say I'm sorry. And that is like, for instance, let's just pretend that we're back there by the coffee. And I get myself a nice cup of black coffee. And you're so excitedly talking about your bowling score that you knock the coffee out of my hand because you're talking with your hands. You should apologize for bowling, A. No, no, I'm just kidding. But yeah, if you, if you accidentally knock the coffee out of my hands, then you go, oh, hey, I'm sorry. But if you sin against me, or if I sin against you, I don't say, I'm sorry. I use magic words. I was wrong. Well, they're not really magic. They're powerful words. I was wrong. Will you forgive me? Now, this is something that we ought to stop and talk about a bit. As a, as a young man, I was taught the importance of maintaining relationships with people I love by being very, very careful to take care of the times when I sin against them. I got up really early this morning when the sun was coming up and I took a walk and I just thanked God that when I was a young man that I learned that how many times I have had to go to people who I desperately love and I want them to know I love them and I've had to say to them I was wrong will you forgive me and our relationships have survived and flourished because I was taught that when I was really young it's a treasure I want to talk to you about I know you think I already already know this but it's really easy to get it wrong I have a fellow I got drunk one day he he, he got drunk and he got upset with his neighbor so he got in the car and he said, I'm going over there and I'm going to punch him out. His wife's like, don't go, don't go. She jumps in the car with him. Try to keep him out of trouble. He flies over there drunk. When the guy comes out, he punches him. The guy doesn't defend himself. He just calls the police and let's see the guy's got a police record about it. Later on, the guy that got drunk and punched his neighbor came to the Lord. And he walked up to this guy at a funeral. He bumped into him many years later. He walked up to a funeral and he says to him, I suppose I owe you an apology. Now the guy later on told me, he said, I'm still waiting for that apology. And I told that guy, I said, well, you know what? I think that was his way of apologizing. What I'm saying is, 
we should be good if, you know, we're, we're really good at sinning. <laughs> we should really be really good at maintaining our relations with other people. Like, like think about that, that, that son of yours, you, you know, he, he plays baseball. Would you let him go out there and play baseball without the proper headgear? Would you let them, would you let him go out there and play baseball when all the other little boys had nice shoes and you had the money, you wouldn't let him go out there without nice shoes. You shouldn't let your son go out in the world without having seen you do this well because he would be ill-prepared for the world unless he's never going to sin, then he needs to make it right when he sins. And when he makes it right when he sins, he, makes it, he needs to make it right, right, if you will. And so um, I want to I warn you about this. I want you to see some scriptures. I want you to notice in, in Luke chapter 2, I was reading a number of years ago, and I remember just a shudder of almost of, of a conviction that came over me when I read, nothing is covered up that will not be revealed. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed. Nothing is hidden that will not be known. Whatever you said in the dark will be heard in the light, and what you've whispered in the private rooms will be proclaimed from the housetops. Who said this? Take a wild guess. Yeah, Jesus said that. Let that sink in. Because if you want to apologize right, first you realize you've offended God and you will be, and every, everything secret will be open one day before God. And this, look at the next passage of Scripture. This is from 1 Corinthians chapter 4, and this gorgeous passage that the Scriptures there are talking about not letting, you know, people judge you, recognizing God is one, gonna, one day going to thoroughly judge you. Look what it says. Don't pronounce judgment before the time, because when the Lord comes, look what it says. He will bring to light the things that are now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. You might say, well, I'm going to let the people in my life just bear the burden of my sin, and I'm not going to humble myself. I'm not going to apologize. Well, you still have to answer for that sin. You might be, if you're like I am right now, you're saying, Pastor, is there any caveat? Is there any way out? Yes, there is. Look at this. This is from the passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, next passage. And 1 Corinthians chapter, sorry, chapter 11. And this is commonly the passage that we use when we're, we're, when we're administering communion because Paul is talking about taking communion and remembering the, the body and the blood of Christ, the death of Christ. And he's saying in, in 1 Corinthians here that we, we don't take communion unworthily. In other words, you don't pretend nothing's wrong when something's wrong and you haven't taken care of it. If you sin and you don't take care of it, confess your sin, judge yourself, acknowledge your sin before God, go to other people, acknowledge your sin before them, the Bible says, because of this, many are asleep, or many are sick, and many are asleep, which is a euphemism for what? For death. In other words, the Bible teaches that a believer who sins and lives a, a life of hypocrisy and then pretends going to communion and doesn't confess their sin, isn't, they, they, this is why some people are sick, and this is why some people die. This is what the scriptures teach. But is there another option? Yes, there is. Look at what it says in verse 31. If we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. Thanks be unto God. That's true. Listen, please listen. I know some of us are wired kind of proud, kind of like that's the way you're wired. It's kind of like your Enneagram score, you're Irish or you're, or you're Dutch or whatever you, I didn't mean to offend you. But whatever it is that you use as an excuse 
for not confessing your sin before God and the one you sin against? Would you rather judge yourself and have it behind you based on that Jesus died for you, or would you rather face God as an unbeliever, I believe, at the great white throne at the or as a believer at the judgment seat of Christ? There's a judgment for the works of a believer for the sins of an unbeliever. I, I, nonetheless, the scriptures frequently talk about Christ's return, and that's a time of judgment, and things that are hidden will be known, but we have this option. Can I ask you, have you exercised that option with God and with others? Now, this is critical. This is powerful. This is an enormous privilege to think about. We can, if we judge ourselves truly, we will not be judged. Let's get all the sin under the blood of Christ. Amen? Let's get all of that behind us. And then let's go to the people. If our repentance is sincere, then somebody said the circle of confession will be the same size as the circle of offense. We don't go off and apologize to everybody necessarily, but we go and we apologize to the one you know, that, we, that we offended, the one that we hurt. And even if it's small, and even if it was a long time ago, I was thinking about this a number of years ago, and I remembered as a boy, my dad was a student at Xavier University, which happens to be a Catholic university, uh, and, and, and he was a student there in a graduate program, and, and I was just killing time in the bookstore, and I saw these little mints, and I didn't have the money for them, and I waited until no one was looking, and I put them in my pocket. And I never forgot about it. Never. Now, years and years and years later, I was sitting in the upstairs of our farmhouse. It was probably 20 years ago now, but I was sitting in the upstairs of our old farmhouse and I was preparing a message. And what about those mints that you stole from Xavier University? And I'm like, well, that was so small. And it was like the Holy Spirit said, but you still remember it. And I'm like, that was so long ago. And I was like, well, you still remember it. So I just said, well, I've had this on my conscience too long. I wrote a little letter explaining what I did. I looked up the address to the Xavier College bookstore. I put a check in for five bucks as I, I figured inflation and, you know, whatever. <laughs> Here's the crazy thing. Two or three days later, that check cleared the bank. Like, boom, cleared the bank fast. Those Catholic people, they get their check in the bank fast. <laughs> they were quick. They, uh, you know, I, and I thought about that. There are things that you still have on your conscience against people, perhaps. That's, you say, well, it's small. It was a long time ago. Yeah, and they're waiting to cast a check of your apology. And what are you going to do? Are you going to let them bear the burden of your sin? Are you going to face the Lord about it someday? Or are you going to judge yourself? Wouldn't it be good for all of us to go over our life and just say, is there anyone I've offended? Is there anything I've taken that's not mine? Anything I've kept that doesn't belong to me? Anything I've said that was sinful? Is it just tell, let the Holy Spirit tell you and then take care of it. And if you have any experience with this, what do you find? It's horrible to do that, right? But it's wonderful after you did it. It's kind of like running, you know? I love having run. I'm not sure I ever liked running, but I love having run. Maybe it's a little bit like that. It's good for you. It is especially joyful. There's a, it's like a boy or a girl on a new bike on the first day of summer once your sins are confessed and forsaken and you've gone and you made things right with other people. And what if, what if there are things 
What if there's like a knot in the wood in your soul? What if there is a something that just keeps holding you back? And this is really all that it is, that you've never really gone and made those things right. What if there's a whole new level of freedom for you? What if there's a whole new level of joy for you? What if there's a whole new level of spiritual energy? What if it's the one thing that's bringing, that's dragging you down into oppression or depression or anxiety or fear or, or, or like not really full, serving the Lord full on is because you have a defiled conscience. The Bible says a defiled conscience, which is just simply saying you've done wrong, you haven't made it right, can make shipwreck of your life. So this is a very, very powerful thing. It's a very, very important thing. And so I borrowed some material from a guy named Ken Sandy. I want to show it to you right now. It's called The Seven A's of Apology. And I just want to list all of them. Uh, just don't read ahead, whatever you do. All right? But I want to give you these from Ken Sandy's written a book called The Peacemaker. And the book is a powerful biblical book based on the scriptures. In The Peacemaker, you want to read this or look it up online. He has a, a diagram called The Slippery Slope. Anybody ever seen that? powerful powerful diagram to help you in living at peace in relationships with other people so now let's talk here briefly which in pastor talk means less than 50 minutes um seven a's of apology sorry not sorry okay number one address everyone involved address everyone involved you ever had this thing where you where somebody offends you publicly and they come confess it privately that's not an apology. Make sure that you include everybody. Ken Sandy said this is based on scripture. Address everyone involved. The circle of offense and the circle of confession should be the same size. Not necessarily bigger, though it can be. Number two, avoid the if and the but and the maybe. If you're going to apologize, do it right. Take the if, the but, the maybe out and just admit that you did what was wrong. Third, admit it specifically. Listen carefully. Here's my suggestion to you. I have a lot of experience at this. When you go to ask forgiveness from someone, then you, you might ask forgiveness for that, that particular thing that you did. And in, the, in their brain, they're thinking, this is only one of the many things that you've done. And there are a bunch of others that are like that. And furthermore, there's an attitude behind it that you just don't get. And then you're apologizing for that one thing that you did. What I'm suggesting is that before you go, you prepare yourself. And you think about the different incidents in your life where you've done similar things, like try to imagine the things they're gonna be thinking about. And then you, you list those things. You tell a number of times. Like, let's just say uh, that you're going to your dad, and you're, you're a young man, maybe a young woman, and you're gonna to go to your dad, and your dad's done a lot of stuff for you, and you just have gotten so that you're used to him doing that, and you sort of expect it, and you really haven't thanked him. So you start to think about like, and you, you just take some time and you think and you, you put down a number of incidents, not just where he bought those tires and he didn't make you pay for them and you didn't say thank you. But the times when he made sure that you had air in your tires and he checked your oil and he paid the insurance. Now you go to him and you say, hey dad, you know, the other day I was just thinking about all the things that you've done for me and you know, the other day I acted like you owed me a new set of tires and you don't owe me that. And, you know, you've changed my oil and you never charged me. And, you know, you put the new windshield wipers on and you took the car. You, know, you always make sure the car's safe for me. And I have never thanked you. And I just want to tell you that that was an ungrateful attitude that I had. Can you imagine the power? Listen, can you imagine the power of that moment in a dad's life? 
This is like, so in other words, give, in, in the admit number three, give specific examples, two or three of them, and then give the attitude behind it. The person really gets the idea that you get it, and then acknowledge the hurt. And it, it, go through, it's like, I realize that there were times when I did these things that, that you probably thought, you know, man, he isn't very grateful for me. Uh, acknowledge, I realize, honey, when I said that to you about your mother, that you love your mother, and that really hurt you. And I, I shouldn't have said that. Acknowledge the hurt. And, in other words, this is a, somebody taught me this once, and I thought it was really helpful on this number four, acknowledging the hurt. Try to relive the offense through their eyes. Try to emotionally relive the offense through their eyes because you don't see it as such a bad thing, you might not have done it. A lot of times you, you sin against people, we sin against people in ways that we're kind of cavalier, but that's not how they see it. It's a deeper thing to them. Try to understand how they feel about it. They probably told you if you listened. And then, and then, then get alone and emotionally walk your way through it as if you were that person until when your heart is really tender and broken and you really know you sinned against them. It's not like you're saying, eh, you know, you're easily upset, so I just want to say I'm sorry. No, I know that you probably lost sleep over that. And then accept the consequences. This is in the Bible. You, people offer restitution. And sometimes it's appropriate to offer accepting not only the, the, the restitution, but the consequences of maybe they don't trust you now for a while. You don't just ask forgiveness and demand trust immediately, right? You're going to have to rebuild that relationship, and you recognize that. I sinned against my wife recently. I ask her forgiveness. She, then after I ask her forgiveness, she explained a little bit more about why it was good that I asked forgiveness. I was tempted to say, enough already, I asked forgiveness. But I realized I needed to hear it a little bit, right? And so she was faithful to share with me how she felt. And then I thought, okay, don't just say the thing you're thinking like, well, never mind then, because this is going to blow the whole deal, right? Just take what you got coming for a while, let her share how she feels about that, and then tell her, you know, I'd say it again, you're right, I was wrong, what I did was rude, I wouldn't have treated anybody else that way, I, I'm too familiar with you, I'm so sorry. I'm going to try to be kinder to you, what I say, right? But when I, when I, and here at this level here, they may not immediately, especially if you live with somebody for a long time, they might be like, oh, sweetie pie, it's okay, I love you, don't worry about it. They might say something about your relatives, I don't know. Then, my wife didn't, but you know, yours might. Anyway, number six, I better move along or I'm going to have to ask apology for the message. That's not going to be good. Number six, after, alter your behavior. Let them know, you know what? I, I'm not going to keep doing this. God helping me. This is serious. I'm serious about working on this. I got a prayer partner. I'm telling him. He's going to pray with me. Then ask for forgiveness. Don't say, I'm sorry. Say, I was wrong. Will you forgive me? These are powerful words. If you miss everything else I said today, remember a couple things. You are going to answer to God for your sin. And you're going to pay for this sin in your relationships unless you ask forgiveness and you do it well. In which case then, obviously God is going to forgive you and the person you're going to, Lord willing, restore, that relationship will be better than it was. And these are, these are very powerful. So I, um, 
I want you to imagine this again. I want you to just think about a, a lady I was thinking about, just a make-believe lady I was thinking about. And I want you to imagine, as we go back through this, imagine this lady. Now, she's... Uh, gets up in the morning and she's reading her Bible and she's reading in the Proverbs 31. I don't know what she's doing there, but she's just reading that. And, and she noticed something in that Proverbs passage. It says about that woman, that ideal woman, remember that passage? It says, the law of kindness is on her tongue. And you know how this works? It's like the sharp edge of that passage just shot her right in the heart. And she remembered how disrespectful she's become when she talks to her husband. Like he drives really stupid, and so she just lets him know. And other stuff that he does, she's just, really she started thinking over the different times that she's spoken to him, and she wasn't speaking with respect toward him. She didn't like admire him. And then she ran a cross-reference, and she noticed that the scriptures teach, not only do they teach the, the law of kindness is on her tongue, but she, she ran across from her, so she noticed it in Ephesians and chapter four, at the end of that, it says, let a wife see to it that she shows respect to her husband. And she got to thinking, would he say you are respectful or you're disrespectful? And she had a moment of just raw honesty before God, and she thought, I haven't really been respectful to him. I mean, Think of all the stupid things he's done over the years. Think of all the sinful things he's done over the years. Think of all the times he's hurt me. I know this dude. No, of course I don't respect him. And then she ran another cross-reference. And she got to 1 Peter chapter 3. It says, craziness. Sarah calls Abraham, Lord? What's that all about? Sarah shows respect to Abraham, who, of course, never made any big mistakes, right? Abraham made some serious mistakes. She would have every reason humanly to say, I don't trust you. We get around people, you're going to give me somebody else's harem. You're going to sleep with my handmaid. You're not a good dude. She called him Lord. So she got thinking about that. And then she realized, you know, I've been disrespectful for him for years. And I've been disrespectful towards him in front of other people. And so that night, she made his favorite dinner. And when he came home, she said, sweetheart, I made your favorite dinner tonight. He goes, what's the occasion? She says, well, you'll see. All the kids gathered around the table. And there they all were. And she says, there's something I need to talk about tonight. After they had dinner, they get ready for dessert. She says, we're going to have dessert in a minute. But there's something I want to say first. Kids, Sweetheart, she says, kids, I want to admit, sometimes when your dad is driving, I've said things to him that were really rude and disrespectful. And she said, I've regularly said things to him that were disrespectful. And the Bible, I was reading my Bible this week, and God showed me that I haven't had the law of kindness on my tongue. She looked down at the end of the table, she said, will you forgive me? And she said to the kids, will you forgive me? That's what that looked like. The seven A's of apology. Listen, when a wife, when a mom, when a, when, a, when a brother, when a sister, when a husband walks, when they, when they sin and they make it right and they make it right, right, you know the, the spirit of the Lord comes down on that. 
The presence of the Lord comes down. The blessing of the Lord. What happens, though, if you don't do that? Let me show you some things that happen. You say, well, I'm not doing that. Okay, well, if you don't, let's just build this whole thing out. I want to show you some things. Obviously, you're going to tear up your relationships. You're going to put the relationship weight all on the other person. You're going to be open to oppression. The Bible says, don't let the sun go down upon your wrath. Because if you do that, you give a place to the devil. What's that about? That's demonic oppression in your home. Don't think this doesn't happen. Sometimes the knot is hard to untie because it's not just the world, the flesh, it's the devil. And I've seen this over and over again. You open your wife, husband, children, brother, sister to, you open yourself up to demonic oppression when you let things go unsettled. That's what Ephesians chapter four says. It's possible that you would have, but Ephesians, James five talks about confessing your sin. And what's the context of James five? You confess your sin at what time? Anybody know what's the context of that? It's healing. Somebody is sick. You know, you may be sick because God is going to get glory through your sickness. Or you may be sick because God is going to take you home. Or you may be sick because you sinned against God. And if you confess it, that sickness may lift. He, he does say, is you, you say, well, I'm just not going to do this. I'm not wired this way. That's not my Enneagram score. That's not my nationality. That's not how I'm made up. Okay, look at the damage that's going to happen to the relationships that you have. Look at the possibility of demonic oppression, the possibility of sickness or death. More and worse sin. What is it we say, Leo, I think you said, Pastor Leo, you said um, the consequences of sin is much, what is it? More sin. How sad is this? I don't want to sin more or worse. Now, because I won't confess my sin, I sin more, I sin worse, and I set up the other people in my life to sin more and worse. This is a train wreck. And it all can be avoided by a humble, penitent heart, a basic Christian thing. I am a sinner. Please forgive me. Listen, do you want to build a relationship with your son? Think through the things that you've heard him, things that you've said or done, get with him, look him in the eye, and honestly confess those things, and watch, start going through your life this way, and watch the health and the healing and the brightness come back into your soul, into your home. Not perfect, because we're not perfect, but it will certainly help. And then God, Bible says if you're proud, God will do what? He will resist you. Let me just make you a little suggestion. You do not want God to resist you. I'm just saying. Damages your intimacy with God. Yeah, you're a believer, you have fellowship with God, but you can't enjoy that intimacy with God. Are you guys ready to move off of this slide yet? I am. So this is what happens if you don't. Anybody want to talk about what happens if I do? Anybody here plan on doing? Raise your hand if you say, I'm going to do this. <laughs> you're discouraging me. All right, <laughs> let me vote again. How many of you will do this? Say yes, yes, yes. Okay, look, look at some of the things that happen, just a few of them. It often helps to build stronger relationships, like I just said. This is important. You say, oh, I'd like to have a better marriage. We need to go on a cruise. Well, you can save your money. I mean, a cruise is probably a good idea. Uh, Eddie, uh, Eddie went on a cruise with his white couple. He's like Mr. Cruise. And he tells me, I'm on thin ice here. I'm, I'm not on thin ice with Eddie. He tells me, he goes on the cruise. Look at me, Eddie, so I know we're friends, right? He, he, he goes on the cruise, and he makes things right on the cruise, right? He's telling me a speaker on the cruise told him a story about a, a, a little tree that got planted by, by a fence, and if he'd have cut it down right away, it wouldn't have been a problem, but he let it grow until it had to have a backhoe to take it out. 
So, I mean, go on a cruise. But I'm just saying, even without a cruise, cruise is a really good idea. But even without a cruise, you can build a strong relationship. There's nothing you can buy that will replace apologizing well. There's no place you can go that's going to do for you what apologizing well and meaningfully. In other words, how about the other one? You want to inspire other people to do good things like some of you are sitting there going right now, I'm, you, right? You're going, I hope my wife is getting notes on this message. Last week he was picking on the men. This week he hit the girls. Thank you, Lord. Right? You're thinking that right now. You're like, I'm hoping she gets notes. Do you want my notes? Like, that's not how this works. You can't sit that girl down and preach to her. I mean, I've actually tried to do that. That has not worked very well. That is not, don't sit her down and preach to her. What do you do? Show her what it looks like. Just show her. Girls are all smart like that. Boys, kids, you want your son to have a tender heart toward God? Show him what a man with a tender heart toward God looks like. Show him what a man whose heart is tender in his relationships looks like. Show him. He'll never escape the powerful influence of that when he sees it in you. He'll have that memory burned into his heart forever. What you say may go in one ear and out the other, but what you show him is going to be powerful. Don't tell me clean the garage. Tell me, let's go clean the garage. That's what I'm saying, right? That's a whole different thing. Had some friends come over, help me move stuff the other day. They said, this is just fun. I'm like, you people are sick. This is not fun. <laughs> it was fun for me to see them help me move stuff. And they were like, if we just said, what if I'd have said to them, hey, would you go over and move my stuff? I'm going to be out of town. They, <laughs> they probably would have done it. But it wouldn't have been the same thing, right? It'd been like, hey, can you go over and help me? Y'all yeah, come over. I had a guy, I did that one time when I was moving here, and I was driving home, it was late at night, it was cold, and I needed some stuff out of the basement. I called my friend, Jason, and I said, Jason, I, I just, I'm like, my, my arm is hurt. I got to get a bunch of stuff out of my basement. I got to sell my house. I wonder if you'd come over and help me. You know what he said? I'll never forget this. He said my little book there. He said, I would love to spend time with you. That's what he said. And I said, I would love to spend time with you taking things out of the basement too, right? right? So we came over, he helped me get all that stuff. I'll never forget that. Listen, when it's time to clean the basement out, go with them and show them. You want your son to be penitent? Show him what it looks like. It motivates you not to sin again. Yet when you ask forgiveness, you think to yourself, I'm not going through this again. It's too painful. Am I right? You ever had this experience? I am not going to ask forgiveness again. I'm just going to not sin. It's going to short circuit the whole thing. You're also free. Have you had this experience? You get free. You seek forgiveness from God. You seek forgiveness from the other. God sets you free. And the Bible says he resists the proud. But what does it say? He gives grace to the humble. It's kind of sweet, isn't it? I think so. That is the amen part that you missed, but I, I forgive you. Now, let me remind you this, and this is where you want to take your Bible and you want to put a, put a colorful tab or a ribbon or a crocheted cross or whatever you do in your Bible to mark Ephesians chapter 4. My mom burned this into my psyche as a little kid. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. This is what we do in our house. And don't wait. Do it now. We're in the Amish country. Lewis and I love to go to the Ohio Amish country and putter around through the shops. And I remember one day we were in this shop in the Amish country 
And we were looking at all these beautiful things. And back in the corner, I came across this large placard, beautifully, beautifully lettered placard. And it, and it was very biblical. It said, the house rules. And I don't remember all that it said, but I remember taking a picture of it. And I'm thinking how beautiful it was. Like in our house, we say, I love you. You ever seen these? In our house, we, and some of you have, you like the one, if you make it dirty, you clean it up. I'm not talking about that one. I'm talking about the nice one. You know, I'm talking about the nice one. You know, in our house, we say, here's what I'm saying about Bethel, and about your house, my house. In our house, we try not to sin. But when we do, we take it seriously. We make it right. We make it right, right. This dad asks forgiveness when he sins against his kids. This mom asks forgiveness when she's rude to her husband. These kids ask forgiveness when they stretch out their sister's sweater when they wore it when they weren't supposed to. Yeah. This is the ho- Wouldn't it be beautiful if the house was governed by an unspoken list of house rules? And one of them was when we do wrong, we make it right around here. How beautiful would that be? You know what I'm talking about? Relationships. See? I want you to imagine a girl disrespectful to her dad. And the dad, while she's sleeping, says, I've had it with this disrespect. So he takes a big sign and it says, respect your dad, you know. Honor your father, dot, dot, dot. And he nails it up in a room across from her bed. See this sign? How many of you think that'd be the right way to do it? Your daughter would just be very respectful. By the way, my daughters are all respectful, so it doesn't come out of my mouth. I'm just saying, that's not the way to do it. How do you do that? I'll tell you how you do it. If you notice that there's some disrespect, then you say to that little girl, you say, hey, you know what? What are you doing Saturday morning? I'm, I'm not busy. Are you busy? And she's like, no, I'm not busy. Then you say, well, why don't we go get breakfast? At that little coffee shop, we can sit in the window. We can talk. We'll get that coffee thing that you like that costs $17.95. We'll, we'll do that. And, and, you, and, and, and then you, you go out there and you sit in the window and you bring that coffee thing with a little thing on the top, a little heart thing on the top. And you look her in the eyes and you say to her, you know, I just treasure you. I just treasure you. Whenever I think about you, happiness goes through my heart. When your mom and I thought about you, we prayed God would give you to us, and he did. And we prayed you would be a girl, and you were. And when you were a little baby, I looked at your little face, and you had little tiny hairs in your face. They're gone now, thank the Lord. But anyway, they were there when you were little. You've grown into such a beautiful woman, such a sweet girl. I really, really treasure you. A dad who builds a relationship with his daughter like that and makes things right is much more likely to get some respect from his daughter. When I, I had to run this big character in, it was a big $40 million building, 16-story, huge building, two restaurants. When I got there, things were kind of upside down. I noticed there were just signs everywhere. Don't do this, put that away, clean this up, signs everywhere. I was just thinking, what in the world? And I had an instinct. I got the staff together and I said, I want you guys to go through the building. I want you to take down every sign except the one that says men, women, you know, the one people really need, leave them there. But the other ones like, I hate you and I don't have a relationship with you and don't drink the coffee or I'm going to give you the smack down. Take those signs all down. Take them down. Somebody asked the question, well, Pastor Ken, what are we going to do? 
if we don't put up these signs. And I said, we're going to build relationships with people. We're going to talk to them. We're going to ask them to do things and not do things instead of just hanging up signs. These are the house rules that we want to have. We want to have them embedded in our hearts and our souls. Now, you're probably all ready for me to be done, and I don't blame you. But I, I want to, I, I, I've thought this through, so before we go home, I want you to see a bit of a picture of this because it's so critical and it's so powerful and it's so helpful. And some of you, even right now, you're going, man, I know I've done this before, I've heard this before, and I just, I can't do this again. And I just want to encourage you the beauty of when you decide. I hurt a lady in a previous church. I hurt her. And it was kind of indirect. It's actually, I kind of, I didn't kind of. <laughs> I hurt her relative. And then I heard that she talked bad about me behind my back. And then I thought, that mean lady talking bad about me behind my back. You know, that little birdie always tells me what people say behind my back, you know. You know how that is. It's just word gets out. People say stuff, you know. I, I, uh, I said to the deacons, I said, we ought to bring, not related to this lady, but I, I, I happened to, I said, we ought to bring Life Action Ministries to our church. At the time, I thought that might be a good idea. And the guys were like, yeah, they weren't, they were kind of split on it. After I left the church, Life Action came. My son was selling insurance over that way. He goes, hey, dad, I'm going to park out of the church, and all the Life Action buses and trucks are here. I'm like, well, praise the Lord. And not long after that, guess what? I got a little, beautiful little letter in the mail, a little card from that lady. Her name is Sally. Sally wrote me a letter. I opened it up. It was kind of like this. Dear Pastor Pierpont, I want to ask your forgiveness because I talked bad about you. Please forgive me. God showed me that it was sinful to do that. And then I thought, oh no. She beat me to it. Because after I thought about it, I thought, I talked bad about her too. So I called her on the phone. I said, thank you so much for this letter. I can't tell you how much it means to me. And I got to tell you now, I hate to tell you this, but I, I said things about you too. She goes, I know. I said, will you forgive me? She said, yes. Now, here's the beautiful thing. I've been back to that church a number of times. I've been back there to do funerals. And you know what? That lady, that precious lady is always there among the faithful ladies of the church. She's working, you know, doing the funeral dinner. And I always look forward to seeing her. I always find her. She always gives me a big smile. We have fellowship. You know, the, the issue sometimes is, is, is we're all followers of Jesus, but like, who's going to actually take up the cross and follow Jesus is the question. We all of us say, oh, I, I want to be like Jesus. Like, okay, well, who's going to be first? Sally was first. I was second. She was like Jesus. It made me want to be like Jesus. Jesus doesn't have to ask forgiveness, but he did humble himself. Will you humble yourself? Will you? humble yourself. What could happen in your home, in your relationships, in your marriage, in the church if you will be like Jesus, if you humble yourself? The Bible says, search me. David said this after talking about God in his beautiful passage, Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me, know my thoughts. See if there's any way in me that's wicked or grievous. Lead me in the way that's everlasting. And David was a guy who asked forgiveness who humbled himself, will you? I want you to pray with me. And Lord, 
I thank you for this truth in the Bible and that so many years ago when I was just a young man that you showed it to me in such a powerful way. Do that, I pray, in the hearts of men and women who are here, moms and dads, brothers and sisters, kids. I pray there'd be just this, there'd just be a movement of confession, of seeking forgiveness, of genuine apology. I, I pray that, that then there would be that, the strong relationships and, and, and there would be the joy that follows that. Lord, these things are hard without your help, without your example, without your help, without your righteousness, without the power of your Holy Spirit. We couldn't do them. And I pray for any who are here today that just aren't Christians. This whole thing is just foreign to them and they need to be, come to a point of repentance and return from their sin, trust in you and to be saved. We ask these things in your name. I'd like to ask you to stand. And we're gonna have, at, towards the end of the song, if you can stand right now, towards the end of the song, we'll have prayer teams that are gonna be here. Prayer, that, folks that will pray with you about whatever it is that's on your heart. And so we're going to sing this beautiful song in worship to Jesus. And during or after that song, if you'd like to come and be with these that are going to be praying, if you have a burden on your heart, they'll share that burden. If you want them to share it with us, they'll share it with the pastoral staff. We'll pray for you. If you want to have a, a meeting, if you want to have some counsel or some help, we'll help you. Uh, do what the Lord tells you to do. See the joy and good that comes from that.